1: Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the new books. Um, I am Meg, the host of this channel. Usually I am representing the new books in Christian studies, but this book is so relevant and overlaps in so many different areas that I want to give it a shout out to um, our psychology channel, our Christian studies channel, and even our sex, sexuality, and sex workers channel. Um, It's just such great content, and you guys will all see why as soon as we get this interview going. Um, And today we're going to be talking to Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers about her book, Shameless Parenting, Everything You Need to Raise Shame-Free, Confident Kids and Heal Your Shame Too. Dr. Tina, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Meg. I'm just so glad to be here. Oh my gosh. We're so excited to have you. All right. um, Dr. Tina, I wonder, would you begin our interview today just by telling us a little bit about yourself?
0: Sure, yep. Yeah. So, I'm an emeriti professor. I'm a doctor of sexual medicine. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and a certified sex therapist and certified sex therapy supervisor. I'm the best selling author of a book called Sex God and the Conservative Church Erasing Shame from Sexual Intimacy, which looks at how America became sex negative and how it was actually never supposed to be. It was actually supposed to be sex positive. When you look back in our sort of deep, deep history um, beyond America, and then it really kind of helps people understand how to heal from all the sexual shame that is saturated in our culture. Um, And then this brand new book, um, which was a new release, bestseller in eight categories, as you mentioned, yes, shameless parenting, yes. <laughs> everything you need to raise shame-free, confident kids and heal your shame too, which which I'm real excited about. and I'm really glad we're going to talk about today.
1: Oh my goodness. Yes. I, uh, especially I'm a newer parent. And so getting my hands on this book has been so, so exciting. Um, I guess I'd like to know, first of all, what inspired you to take your previous book? It just feels like this is like the next step to help us as a community to do shameless parenting. What inspired you to, to do that?
0: Well, really, it was, you know, I've been teaching this material for over 30 years. And, you know, it was a combination of hearing so many stories from people over the years of Um. The impact of having over forty years of abstinence education in the United States, and then just the influx of of misogyny and violence against women and and the impact of that, the sort of development of the rape culture that we have, and how much that's really hurt people, this sort of combination of just so much ignorance around sexuality and the pain that people have experienced and then i would just start hearing from so many young parents this just desperate cry like i just don't want to do To my kids, what was done to me, I want to do so much better, but I have no idea what to do because when I reach inside myself, all I have is what I came from and I want, I want so much more than that. And can you help me, please? Can you help me? And I've been, you know, teaching sexuality forever and I've been teaching it to physicians and therapists and clergy. And, and I really have found that, um, what most people don't realize is that when you know everybody didn't get adequate sex education in in the United States over the last 40 plus years and that includes our practitioners it includes our therapists and physicians and doctors uh you know clergy whatever because they don't get it as well in graduate training you have to go on to do specialized training and postgrad work and um and so they're also feeling pretty desperate to get their hands on good information. And so I thought, gosh, what can I do to put this information in the hands of people in a way that will feel really helpful and tangible and in a way that makes them feel like somebody's actually holding their hand? Um, And so I was kind of just racking my brains. How could I do that in a way that just feels useful? And this is what I came up with.
1: Oh my goodness. Yes. And I do just want to give a shout out about the format of this book. Um, I was a little intimidated reading it at first. I thought, oh my gosh, like, where do I even go? Do I read everything out at once? But as soon as I got into section one about why I want to hold your hand, and you just made it so sincere and approachable. And I really feel like You took the time to name all the fears that us parents that you've heard over the years, but also those of us who are picking this up for the first time to share. I know this is what you're coming from. I know this is what you might need right now. And the format really makes it easy to engage because you pack in so much content, but you break it down in such an approachable format that we can handle it, that we can, you know, hit this section then the next one and come back to it when we need to and there's more resources. So I do want to just give you a shout out for the way that you formatted such great research and knowledge and resources in such an approachable way. It was just so well done. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I I feel like I don't know. I I really do and
0: I can tell a little bit more of the story, but I really feel like there was I don't know, some divine help in the way that it kind of came together because I I started started the whole project, really trying to put together cheat sheets for professionals, where I could just put things in their hands, you know, so doctors would have something at well child visits, and teachers might have something at their, their, you know, parent teacher conferences, and that kind of thing. So I was really trying to think of how can I make it really pragmatic and, and simple and easy. And yet, you know, if people wanted to go deeper and get more resources, that could be right there too. And so I was kind of putting it together that way. And then I I shared the information with some of my colleagues just saying, what did I miss? You know, some of my queer and diversity, equity, and inclusion colleagues. And and one of them said, you know, was giving me really great feedback. And, and she said, you know, you might want to just stick this in a book too, like all of it. And I was like, Oh my gosh! You know what? I didn't even think of that. And I said, I wonder if I there would be a way I could put it together where, um, because it was so didactic, you know, it was so like, okay, then this and then you know, <laughs> kind of bulleted and everything. I wonder if I could put it together in a way where it just would feel really friendly in your hand, like have lots of pictures and be in like 14 font and you know that kind of thing. Yes, and I I, yes. did. I found a a template, and when it when it kind of put itself together, literally built itself. I felt like it was always meant to be a book too. And I, I just was so, so happy with how it, it came out. Like, yeah, it makes it really easy to pull off the shelf and just turn to how old's my kid? Oh, my kid is yes. six. I can turn right there and go, okay, this is what the next two years are going to be like, you know? And,
1: yes. Yeah. Oh man. I agree with that hundred percent. And there is even really thoughtful questions that you put in, in each section you go through Mm -hmm. and you ask parent questions like, is this part making you uncomfortable? And I just thought that was so uh, strategic too, because, you know, going into it, you're reading for tips and tricks and resources to get your hands on. But then you also take the time to reflect, okay, what, what was I given when I was younger? And how is what I'm witnessing as a parent making me uncomfortable. And can I get curious about that and dig in a little more? That's just so brilliant.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, that's one of the things I think parents have really taught me and and just people in general over the years is that what really stops us from being the sex educator that we need to be for our kiddos is the shame that we feel from our own growing up, you know, because somebody yelled at us when we were just being ourselves, when we were just being natural and normal and doing what kids do and being naturally curious. Um but because our parents and their parents and whatever were, you know, they were shamed. They passed that shame down to us. And so we have that kind of knee jerk shame response when our kids are gonna do what they're gonna do. And so I kept thinking, how can I help parents anticipate what, you know, here's what your kiddos are gonna do at this age and stage all the way along. There's different things they're gonna do every year. They're gonna do certain things how can I help you anticipate those things? And how can I help you anticipate what you might feel if your own parents didn't do this very well, which most parents didn't, 90 to 95% of homes are silent or silent and shaming around sexuality. So if that was your home, that's typical, right? And so you're likely to feel some of these things. And so I want to kind of help people think about Gosh, you know, when my child, when I catch my child playing doctor or walking in on me or whatever, how might that feel and how can I begin to prepare for that now? What might be running through my head? How would I have wanted to be parented around this instead of maybe the way I was? You know, that kind of thing to sort of help heal some of that shame that all of us have, So that when our kids get there, we can maybe give them more of what they need than what we got.
1: Oh, my gosh. I uh, just from reading this book, I can tell that was definitely your intention. And I even have been having great conversations with my partner about, you know, what was both of our experience and how, you know, that comes together as we're continuing to parent someone together. It just is so good. Um. Yeah. Okay. So I want to I want to get into, I have some really great thoughts. So section two, you talked about cheat sheets. Let's go to section two. In this one, you really hit on sexual se- shame, self-esteem, safety, and even systemic factors like media literacy. Can you talk about that? I just thought that was so brilliant because we are a generation that is very media friendly we're parents who are introducing media at a younger age than ever before so I'd love to hear your thoughts about media and developing media literacy
0: yeah yeah really throughout the book I introduced this idea of media literacy and um, this like you say this generation of of kids growing up need to have a kind of critical thinking skill set and um, around what is being introduced to them? What is being created? And who's it being created for? And who's being included in those ideas? And who's not being included in those ideas? And what is being sold in essence to you? And um, why? What's the intent behind it? And these ideas and questions can evolve in complexity as a child grows up. So they can start as pretty simple questions when they're you know four and five and six, and then they can grow in complexity as a child grows up. But as you have these conversations, a child is and youth is getting more and more um savvy in understanding that all media is created with an agenda, with an intent, and they just become. Uh, more aware of what that is and who it's for and what the purpose is and what part they want to play in that. And they're just aware that there is somebody behind the camera, if you will, <laughs> and somebody that was writing a script and that that script had an intent. And um, and it makes them a participant in a different kind of way And have a different kind of awareness. And I think all of us really want our kids to have that kind of savvy and that kind of awareness. So even as they grow up, they can decide the role that they want to play in shaping the world that they're going to be a part of and that they're going to be living in rather than just being a consumer that takes it in and digests it and metabolizes it, but really um, is a much more active participant in, um, in the media that happens. Um, and when we have those conversations when they're little, it just becomes a, a regular part of, of how they think because media is all around them all the time. So, media literacy is a really critical skill set that um, we haven't had, we haven't been cultivating in years past. And I think in some ways it's gotten us into a bit of trouble, Um, (laughs) but, um, but it's a skill that, um, this next generation, and I even think my generation, you know, really needs to have. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think it will be a gift when parents start to cultivate that both in themselves and in their kiddos. And it, and I know with conversations I've had with my own, I have four grown kids and, Mm -hmm. um, and now two little granddaughters. Um, those conversations actually are really rich and fun to have with your kids as they grow up.
1: Oh, my gosh. I love it. Okay. You hear that, parents? You have permission to start developing some media literacy, get your cre- critical thinking skills going. Um well, uh, one thing that I thought was also really powerful that you said in the next um, section, you explain that gender is something that our culture puts onto people. And mm-hmm. you even go on to say, if your child does uh, does not feel like the gender they were assigned to at birth, listen to your child. And you, ec- you emphasize that with an exclamation point at the end. Yeah. And that tells me you've had to do some work with parents on this topic. And I feel like especially now... Um, That's something that's very relevant. Can you talk about specifically how these types of conversations have contributed or can contribute to sexual shame? Sure. So,
0: one of the things I learned actually probably only about a decade ago was that, you know, we often think about pink and blue as having Mm -hmm. to do with, you know, boy and girl. Actually, the toy company Mattel. Introduced those two colors as having to do with pink, having to do with girl, and blue having to do with boy, only in like the 1950s, and that was so that they could sell twice as many toys.
1: Oh my gosh! (laughs) Right, right. Writing that down. Uh huh. Right. Um, Marketing, seriously.
0: Marketing. There you go. So media literacy. Yeah. Um, So. Uh, gender and, and really, it was beyond, after that point that we started to see more extreme representations of these idea of what it means to be a boy and what it means to be a girl. You know, boys things became more kind of uh, in the box around toughness and violence and not showing emotion, and girl things became much more around what her external presentation was you know her beauty or um deferring to men these kinds of things where if you go into movies in the 40s you see many more uh, women having many more roles types of representations and Um, It's just interesting how after 1950, we begin to see a slow increase in the sort of boxing of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And it's not done us any favors at all because people have um, all kinds of ways of being in the world. And we're finally beginning to have conversations about how... um, Genders are. Um, there's many different ways to be, and um, gender is is. There's you know, non-binary. There's genders. There's a whole continuum, and um, and and we need to give people permission to express and be however they feel on the inside. One of the things we know in child development is that the sense of gender the sense of how you feel on the inside if you feel more masculine more feminine more boyish more girl ish and again i say ish because it's on a continuum um some uh, kids can begin to feel um more a particular gender um, beginning as early as age three and four. Um, and this is, of course, when they're starting to play dress up and this kind of thing. For some kids, um, that will match what they were assigned at birth. For other kids, it, it they'll kind of be, again, going all over the place and that's how they are. For other kids, it will be different than what they were assigned at birth. And for some of those kids, it may feel very strong. So you might have a child that was assigned um, male at birth and yet um, as they're like four and five, they're feeling very much on the inside like they are a girl and they're wanting to put dresses on and they're wanting to dress up like Snow White. And they're, you know, and it's very important to them and they're wanting to change their name and and they're wanting you to call them, you know, by their other name and it's really strong. And and I'm often saying to parents, if this is your child It's really, really important that you listen because there is a knowing that that child has. And what we've come to learn about children whose gender is expressing itself very strong um, and it's not matching what they were assigned at birth, that that particular child, if if they're pushed to be what they do not feel that they are... Those children can become suicidal by the time they're 10. And um, because they have a strong personality, they have a strong sense of who they are, and they're continuing to be forced to not be that. And that combination is very, very hard on their mental health. <clears throat> so there's there's a movie called Trans that I often will recommend that people watch, And um, just to learn a little bit about how gender can express itself very strong in some children and that we really need to just listen and let your kid be whoever they are. And if that's really hard for you to find a pediatrician who understands or find a counselor that understands that can hold your hand as a family um, and help you just listen to your child and just let them be as they grow up. And... um, it's, it's going to figure itself out in the way that is most going to honor your child. Gender really is something that emerges from the inside. We also have about 2% of our population that is what we call um, uh, uh, intersex or their their particular ways in which their um, genitals and uh, sexual organs are formed aren't entirely clear And um, it's also really important for those children that there are not medical interventions right away unless it's absolutely Mm -hmm. medically necessary, because, again, the child may have a a, uh, may lean one direction or another as they grow. And we really need to honor that in order for them to be happy in the world. So those are some of the reasons that I bring this up, because. Again, for lots of kids, it's not going to feel real strong one way or another, or it's going to emerge and slowly in time, um, or it's going to match how they were born, and that's all going to kind of feel really like parents aren't going to really notice. But for those other kids, I'm like, boy, we really want our children to feel um, have strong mental health and self-esteem. And in order to do that, we really must listen to our children and they have a wisdom and we don't want to push against that because we want them to be happy. And so we need to support their knowing about who they are in the world um, and let them be how they are Um, because that's, that's, I don't know, I'm just a believer that there aren't mistakes and however your kid is, is the way they need to be. And we are, as the parents, the one that need to learn from them uh, in these kinds of ways. So, but it can be hard because parents often don't know these child development things, which is why I've got them in the book to try to help people understand child development, because most of us don't take child development courses. Right. So,
1: right. Oh my gosh. And one of the quotes that you say in, um, a later section, the eight to 10 year old section, you say in there, your child is trying to figure out who they are, Can you as a parent or grandparent or anyone helping raise these children remain open and loving so you can hear and they can want to tell you, oh my gosh, when I heard that, that just knocked the wind right out of me. And even hearing you reinforce this just now, like it is so important. And I even bring up grandparents and aunts and uncles and other community members of our chosen family that are around our children. Oh my gosh, can you um, just tell us what, how can we as community members like lean into remaining open? You know, it's going to be hard for some of us who, you know, we're uncertain. We are, we've got the resources now that we've got your book, but like, how do we practically continue to lean in and not just rush to an answer or tell our child who they are? Right.
0: Right. And, and I think you make a really, really good point, Meg. It can be hard, you know, like this little, you know, beautiful little child's placed in our arms and we can kind of run away with dreams of who we think this child is going to become. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'll often jokingly say to, to parents and, you know, I say this to myself a million times, you know, we are, as the parents or grandparents, we're the rat in the experiment, <laughs> Yes, <laughs> you know, our children, we are there to love them protect them, provide boundaries, to keep them safe, to provide that container so that they can grow and become who they are meant to become. And we will be the observers of that. And they're going to come into the world with a particular bent towards becoming that and um, and we don't necessarily know what that will be. It may be some of what we think, but it may be a lot of what we're not, we don't know, right? And so what if we can listen deeply to them, observe with a kind of curiosity, a kind of openness, respect, real curiosity, and a real, what I call accountability, to the power we have to hurt them, so we have a real, I, and I call that, and I talk about this at the end of the book, I talk about orca, which is openness, respect, curiosity, and accountability to our power. If we can have a kind of orca stance with our kids, that we bring that to them, then, then they will see us as a safe person to unfold their unfolding in front of. They will want to tell us about themselves, they'll want to ask us questions. What do we think about this or that they'll seek our advice. Um, And that's ultimately really what we want is to remain a resource for our children. But if we take a... um, a position where we're telling them all the time who they should and should not be, we're not listening, we're putting them in our box and not being curious about who they are becoming, then they're going to go underground and they will Uh, maybe be who they think we want them to be in front of us, but they will become their person apart from us. And then when they hit 16, 17, 18, they'll begin to really pull away. And that ultimately isn't what most parents want. They really (laughs) want their child to remain connected Mm -hmm. to them. But it takes a kind of strength and courage, I think, for parents to be, you know, I am a trustee of this person. Um, I am not, um, in, in, in charge of them in that way in which I'm going to, uh, you know, like get to direct their life entirely. I'm going to provide a safe container of love and protection for them to grow and become, um, who they're meant to be. But, um, I don't, I don't, I don't get to, you know, pull all the punches here, I guess another way to say it. So, um, and sometimes it can be hard for parents to remember that because it is a huge responsibility that we're doing day in and day out. And it's a lot of work and I get it. I've done it a lot, you know, but, um, but yeah, it's just, I guess, important for us to remember what we are and what we aren't, um, in this role as parents and grandparents.
1: Oh my goodness, Dr. Tina. Uh, okay. Well, I want to read one more quote. I'm not going to share all of your book, but this last quote was so relevant to what you're saying now. And I feel it it really just encapsulates everything. You say um, in a later section, it takes courage as a parent to be brave, steady, and non-reactive as your child grows up and makes their mistakes, mm-hmm. but it's a huge gift to them. And this just goes in line with everything that you're saying, like, us as the parents coming alongside our children and, and journeying with them, not forcing them to be a certain way, but really listening to them in a non-reactive way is it's a brave thing. And it's a courageous thing that we, as parents are doing. I'm curious, were your parents or, you know, the community that you grew up in, were they like this?
0: Well, you know, it's, it's
1: interesting. I, I
0: think that there were some places where, um, My parents did a remarkable job, especially I want to give credit to my father in this place. Um, He he was just incredible in my adolescent years. And um, I could bring so much to him. And um, and he was just a steady Eddie. (laughs) And um, and I think I learned a lot from him. Um, because he, he continued to remain a resource to me because I knew he wouldn't fly off the handle about anything. Um, If I came to him with like a, just a true, you know, question or um, whatever, like he was, he had this sense, like, I'm going to respect who you are becoming and I'm going to make space for you to make mistakes. Um, And, um, And trust you to do your thinking about that. So he would offer a lot of questions um, if he was concerned about something as a way to sort of push me to do my own thinking about it, um, as opposed to tell me what to do, you know, kind of a thing. And, And so what would happen is as he would do that, I would feel respected. And I would feel like he was putting his trust in me to make good decisions because he would be asking me the questions that would say, are you thinking about this? And are you thinking about that? And are you thinking about this? And then what do you think? You know, and um, And so that helped me feel like he was putting his trust in me to do critical thinking while also helping me to critically think as opposed to telling me what to do. And um, so I think I learned a lot from him um, in that. And I think just all my years of being a therapist, watching some parents do the authoritarian thing by telling kids to do everything, you know, and then watching them go off to college and not have any of their own sort of muscle development, critical thinking muscle development done yet. And then making some pretty big mistakes because they hadn't done any practicing yet, you know, and then just realizing how important it is to really help your kids do some of their own thinking before they leave the house and giving them room to fall and then pick themselves up, you know, and ask them questions about it. And And I remember as my kiddos were growing up, um, saying to them, you know, there's no such thing as a mistake, if you turn it into a lesson. So if you do something that you're not really happy with, look back and ask yourself how you could have done it different and then pick up the lesson and then apply it to your future. And then it's not a mistake. It's a lesson. And I would jokingly say to them, you know, I think if God or the creator or however you want to think about it, if, if they wanted us to, not learn by experience, then they would have our prefrontal lobe finish <laughs> baking a whole yes. lot sooner than 25 or 28.
1: Yes. But the reality
0: is it doesn't stop. Our brain hasn't, you know, doesn't fully form until we're like 25 or 28. And so we are meant to learn through our experiences. Um, so, so I would often say to my kids, you know, you're 15, that's in your job description. What can you learn? You're not supposed to have it all figured out now, but what can you learn from this particular thing um, or whatever? And, and so this is part of what I think it it is to remind yourself, well, what can 15-year-olds do and not do and where are they likely to make their mistakes? And, and so that's part of why I opened the book with the particular story that I do in, in helping those one parents sort of walk through the the difficult decision that their 14 year old was making. And yet it was very much in line with the kinds of decisions that sometimes 14 year olds make. It's not a bad one, but it's hard. Sometimes again, parents have to be courageous to hold the hands of their kiddos and help them learn. Um, And it's not a reflection on you being a bad parent. It's just kids are being who they are at those ages and we have to help them keep growing.
1: Mm, That is so good. Well, since you brought up the entry story, um, I do have a question around one of the sections that is the 15 to 18. You invite parents to talk when we're in this age group to their children about which narrative they're going to write and act on in their sexual experience. and You invite parents to talk about important things like consent and even role-playing tough conversations because as a teen these conversations are going to come up. And there's a lot of factors at play, you know, social pressure, peer pressure, stress. Um, And just reading through that, that I just know as my own 15 year old self, I would have really benefited from having those conversations, you know, like a role play situation where like, this is how consent sounds. And this is what it can sound like when your friends are doing the opposite. Like, how can we do that? So I just was curious, Is that something you picked up in your therapeutic practice or was it something you tried with your children or both and? Yeah, I would say
0: it was a both and, you know, I've continued to learn as my kids have gotten older, but there was some of those things that I did, you know, that I knew enough to do as they were growing up. So they're in their range in age right now from 30 to 36. So, um, but when my oldest was, uh, so I, my oldest is boy and when he was, um, growing up, he, um, I can remember us having a conversation when he was dating somebody when he was like 16 and, and, and talking to him about like, so how do you know when, you know, say his girlfriend's name was Susan wasn't, but uh, when, when, um, that Susan wants to kiss you because sometimes girls will do things that they don't necessarily want to do, so just because she kisses you doesn't mean she necessarily wants to kiss you, so how do you know that she really wants to kiss you? so having conversations about consent now, I wasn't even using the word consent yet in in my practice or in my life. it wasn't a word that we were talking about a ton as far as just the word goes, but the concept uh, I knew that girls defer. <laughs> And I wanted him to be mindful of that. Um, and I had had a lot of conversations as he was growing up, um, around power in the family and how power was used, um, in helpful ways and in unhelpful ways, um, just amongst the siblings. And, um, and so that was just another conversation around that kind of thing. Um, uh, we had conversations around um, uh, birth control, and you know, w- and how are you going to write your narrative around sexuality, and what what does readiness look like? How might you know if you're feeling ready to be more sexually involved? We had lots of conversations about that, and and with that came conversations around um, pregnancy, and you know, because even if you are careful, sometimes pregnancy can happen. And then we did a whole, I walked him through a a mindfulness exercise around him finding out that his girlfriend was pregnant and then them having to talk to the parents about it. Um, So, I mean, I wanted him to think through all, all kinds of things about just the responsibility that goes with Deciding to become sexually active, which is fine if he felt ready for it, you know, because we had talked through what what how he would might feel like he was ready and blah blah blah. But you know, just having conversations about just being thoughtful around what all of those things might mean emotionally, physically, and so on and so forth, um, in their life, you know, as they're sixteen and seventeen and so forth. I didn't expect my kids to tell me everything because they, you know, I wanted them to have just, just cause I, I also just, I think value and, and appreciate that, um, kids are going to keep some things to themselves, but I also wanted to walk them through in their mind's eye, some, uh, situations to think through, um, whether or not they, they necessarily told me how Uh, much that fit or did not fit exactly where they were. I wanted them thinking through. And I think for myself, I would try to keep myself, try to keep myself thinking I want to be a little ahead of them rather than behind them. Because most of the time we're behind our kids timing wise. And so even if I was trying to stay ahead of them, I may not have been entirely ahead of them, you know, so...
1: Yeah. Oh man, I just feel like that—that that really shows. It, you know, we we read in the book throughout. You know, from the very beginning all the way to the end, that there's an invitation for us as parents to engage rather than disengage or rather than play catch up. Um, it's really about. It seems like you just give us permission to not know everything and to lean into the relationship with our kiddos, and it's just so encouraging. I just, yeah, I just feel like there's so much that we can gain from having these conversations, from Mm -hmm. reflecting on our own stories and our own narratives that we were given and really leaning in, even if it's uncomfortable. And even if we don't have all the answers to be able to hold that space with our children so that we can, you know, heal the cycles of shame that we see so much in our culture or the cycles of behavior that isn't, you know, consensual or beneficial, you know, that we can be a part of creating safe space for conversations to happen, for families to support the kiddos. And I just think that is so powerful and it's relevant throughout the whole entire book. And I know we're getting close to time, um, but before I let you go, Dr. Tina, would you tell us what you're working on now?
0: So right this very minute, um, I am Finishing, getting up the cheat sheets that I started doing. um, Those are just now getting done. They've been to the illustrator now and um, they will go up on my website in the next uh, probably three or four weeks. And they are available. They'll be available to be downloaded by, um, there'll be a, a, a medical bundle to be downloaded by physician and medical groups. There'll be an educational bundle to be downloaded, um, by you know whether it's uh, K through twelve or just elementary age or junior high age. There'll be different kinds of bundles that that can be downloaded. There, there'll be a clergy bundle that can be downloaded and a youth group bundle that can be downloaded. So it's for different ages and stages, um, and then the when they're downloaded, they'll be downloaded with a license so that people then can um, can run them off and hand them as handouts or they can put them on their website. They've got little gifts, you know, little moving um, illustrations. And so hopefully what they'll be there for is I always think of the parents are most often going to those are the frontline people, you know, they're kind of the clergy or the community leaders and the teachers and the um, pediatricians and the primary care physicians and educators. Those are the people in front of our parents the most. And so if they then have these materials too, they can be handing them out or they can say, go to our website. It's right there for you. Feel free to grab it and use it. So hopefully all of those cheat sheets will be out there and they'll start just getting distributed out to parents to support parents um, the book will be is, a, is available, so I'm just hoping that the two together will just help support parents and, as well as supporting the professionals. So that's what I'm really working on getting that done. And then I'm also launching a parenting community on my website where I'm going to continue to write um, as I hear from people like, can you write a little blog on this or that, or I'm worried about this. My kids touching themselves too often or whatever. Can you write about that? And then once a month I'm going to do um, a live Q and a where um, I'll just answer whatever questions are coming up and I'm going to do webinars um, that I'll post up there. And it's just a way for me to stay in contact with parents as I hear from them along the way. And I don't have to worry about being shadow banned, which can happen around sexuality on like Instagram and stuff. Oh
1: my goodness. Yes. That's yeah. so true. So,
0: and I can keep um, content growing. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the, on the parenting community, um, while it'll look like a feed, kind of like a Facebook feed, mm-hmm. everything is also... Um, Uh, what do you call tagged by age? So people can also go straight to the age of their child and everything will be accumulating by that age as well. So Mm -hmm. they can get more information. So I'm hoping that that will just be over time will continue to be just a wealth of resources for people both in accessing other parents, but also accessing me too, if they need to. So so yeah, that's what I'm working on
1: right now. Oh, that sounds so good. And you know I will shamelessly promote that. So um <laughs> what is your website? Just so that we have it recorded and we can put that out into the world. Yeah, so
0: it's my name, it's Tina Shermer Sellers. So T-I-N-A-S-C-H-E-R-M-E-R Sellers S-E-L-L-E-R-S
1: dot com. Perfect. I was just writing that down. Oh my goodness. Well, there has been so much great conversation as well as I can't wait to get my hands on all the resources that you've listed and the cheat sheets and distribute them through the Philadelphia area and get them out into this East Coast world. Um, I just want to thank you so much for taking time to be on the show today. I really enjoyed discussing this with you, and I'm so excited to see your future projects and how they unfold. And you'll be seeing me in the parent community in the four-year-old section.
0: (laughs) Wonderful. Thanks, Meg. It's been a lot of fun having this conversation with you.